Hey there. Welcome to the All People's Equipping Podcast. As you might know, part of the purpose statement of All People's Church is transforming lives to bless San Diego, bless Tijuana, bless whatever city that we're in, and planting churches to transform nations. And so All People's Global is a church planting movement. It's a it's a movement of people that are committed to expanding the local church, making disciples, and reaching people in God-centered communities across the world. Some of those are congregations. Some of those are house churches. And, and God's always creatively expanding his kingdom. But ultimately, church planning, we know, um, provides people the community they need to become disciples and grow in their faith. And so this is going to be a special treat this episode because you're going to get to a preview of our church planning school In this episode, uh, Pastor Robert Herbert is sharing the all-people story from his perspective, how God planted the dream of all peoples in his heart, how he moved forward initiating that dream, and how the Lord called him to San Diego and worked through that process. I think you're really going to enjoy not only hearing the inside story, hearing Robert's heart, but also hearing some principles that we're teaching church planners at All People's Church. So let's listen into the All People's Church Planning School as we reflect on all that God has done through All People's Global, and also consider all he's going to do. I'm going to tell you just parts of mine and Steph's story and our our team's story, because it's so much more interesting to understand the DNA and the values of a church in the context of the story, and that's really how God speaks to us. And so... um, it was climbing onto a bus to go to the dusty and dangerous border town of Juarez, Mexico, uh, where I was like, this is this is just crazy. I cannot believe that I'm not going skiing like I've, I've done the last couple of years on spring break. But what I noticed is this group of people, and some of you have heard the story, this group of people was different in that they had fasted and prayed and learned a, a simple reproducible gospel sharing method we had memorized a track and so we get down to to mexico a couple hundred young people and i had been hearing about um different miracles happening and many of you know the story of uh i'd been in church and that, you know in some ways i was judgmental of a lot of the different people on the street because they were new christians and i'm thinking i know so much more of the bible than you and I'd, I'd go up and I'd share with people, these the sweetest Mexican people, and they'd, they'd, you know, do you want to receive Jesus? And they'd say, no. You know, and I'm like, what in the world? Why? I've heard of all these people coming to the Lord. And I'd pray for people and they wouldn't be healed. And um, I'm, I get to the second to last day. Of, and my pastor, Jimmy, was talking about brokenness where he talked about God uses the foolish things to confound the wise and he uses the weak things to shame that which is strong. Why? So that no one can boast before him. And so he's talking about the baptism of the spirit and I have an aversion towards that. And, um, you know, at the end of the, but I'm, I'm getting so convicted while I'm hearing this. And so at the end of the message, I run to the, to the front and this little, fiery Asian woman puts her hand on my back and starts saying, he's a self-made man. He's a self-made man. And the power of God just starts coming on me. It's just crazy. And I get up and it's the whole room's empty after just being out on the floor for probably half an hour. 
And many of you guys know that story is that that, that night we go out to the streets of Mexico and a guy calls me over and he's hunched over and his stomach's messed up and his stomach starts contorting and his back starts popping and starts spitting and he stands straight up and he lifts his hands and he's saying, glory to God, glory to God. And I run around and start telling people about it. And I lead my first person, Lord, my second person, Lord, my third person, Lord, my fourth person, Lord. And it was everything changed in that minute. And you guys know, uh, if you turn with me to Luke 418, what I was seeing at that moment was the embodiment of how Jesus explained his, I was seeing the beginning, the beginning of this, right? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord's anointed me. And that changed everything because I went from living a church life, doing church, uh, which is a lot better than not doing anything. Let me just say that. So I don't want to denigrate church and I don't want to denigrate even churches that aren't full or full of the Holy Spirit like we talk about, because, man, you base your life on the word of God, you're going to be blessed. Um, but, man, how much more exciting uh, when the Holy Spirit's moving and how much more you're going to see the kingdom come. And so it was like I stepped into the Bible and things were never the same after that. We started pursuing the, the spirit of God, asking him to move. And um, I started going on trips. So I, I had the funny thing is um, a little side note about me. Some of you guys know this is I had prayed, God, I want to give you my life. Just don't make me a missionary. I, I just really don't. I'm so afraid if I give you my life, you're going to make me a missionary. <laughs> that was an accurate fear. Um, so uh, right after that baptism of the Holy Spirit experience happened, I just started signing up to go on trips. So I went that summer to India and Nepal. Then I was in, I was in England. And... Um, Man, talk about all this culture shock, seeing the different nations of the world. And God was just doing so many things. I mean, in India, I'll never forget being in Calcutta. And we were doing a drama on the street. And, and there's just some places in the world that there are so many people. There's so many masses of people that's overwhelming. And in India, there was just like a sea of people walking down the street. And I went, while we were doing a drama, I had this vision of the, getting to the end of the street and they're walking into hell. And it just rips out my heart. The reality of people going to a Christless eternity, if they don't hear the gospel, was just ripping my heart out. Well, I went, don't ever do this. Don't let your kids do this. I went one week after I went to India and Nepal, I got on a plane and went to study at Westminster School in Great Britain. So I went from like the poorest place on earth to where everything costs twice as much as a dollar in, in, uh, in the U.S. And, um, but one night, so we started, uh, I just realized, okay, well, we've got to do something about being in England with all these rich kids. I was studying abroad. And so we started a, started a, um, a life group there and we were going and doing like a revival service in these in these towns, but I pop up one night with a couple friends in in the underground tube in Piccadilly Circus, and we walk out. It's a it's a square. It's not an actual circus. Um, 
we walk into the square, we come up at night, and it was like the whole world was in this square. And I, I come out, at first there's a Peruvian wood flute band. And then there was this big group of Chinese tourists that were all together. And then there were all of these, um, there were all of these different people from all these different countries in Africa that were in this square. And then there were, there were all these like punk goth people. And then I'm, I'm walking through this looking like in one square block. It felt like every nation come. And then I'm hearing this, uh, this homeless guy yelling at someone. And I, I'm kind of drawn to it. So I walk closer. And what I see is there's this, this homeless guy yelling at this Christian guy. And they have a Jesus shirt on. They have these orange shirts on. And he's saying, no, I love you. That's why I took you in to live with us. That's why. And the guy's like, you, you know, you don't this, that, you Christians. And he's like, no, uh, we love, I love you. And he's returning hate and scorn by telling him how he took him in, how he fed him. And, and in the middle of this, this square of all the nations gathered is this radical group of Christians just ministering on the street, sharing the gospel. Uh, Acts chapter four, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they took note because they were unschooled and ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. So hopefully, hopefully you're just getting these little glimpses of, of the DNA that God was unpacking for all people's church. And so like you guys, I went to a very humble training school uh it was a lot it was a lot smaller back then just on a uh uh little sunday school room with 20 of us and i i, I traded in going to um to trinity or fuller which is what i wanted to do and getting my doctorate to going and doing this little discipleship school which was very humbling and going to work a part-time job but just knowing that god was actually he was actually working more on my character that it was more important to be an unschooled and ordinary person to have been with Jesus than having all the education in the world and missed him. And I'd seen that. I'd seen a lot of people. That's what I had seen in church. I'd seen good people, but they didn't have that passion for Jesus. They, and, it, and it certainly didn't seem like the book of Acts. And um, so I really started giving myself to the, the study of the book of Acts. And um, God, was, God was doing something. Uh, it was not easy. And I remember in our, our training school trip, after our training school year, we end up going. We, we did training school trips a little different. Ours was five weeks uh, we were dropped off in a city where there had, we were dropped off in a city. There hadn't been a church for 500 years. We had no contacts. Uh, we had no translators. Uh, we were dropped off in, in Eskishagir, Turkey. And uh, they dropped us off at a hotel and we didn't have much money. So it was like the lights were like going when we, when, when they came on, it was dirty and musty. It looked like an old Soviet thing from a Jason Bourne movie. But the amazing thing is, is we just 
we built friends with young people on the streets. Uh, back then, we didn't have Google Translate. Did y'all ever carry little uh, dictionaries with you? I carried a pocket dictionary, Turkish. And we just found the people that spoke the most English, played sports with them. The way we saw our first believer was I was walking with them after weeks. We had been together for weeks. We had no, like, agenda. We'd sit do team time, and then you just go to the streets. And we just befriended them and eat meals with them, play soccer with them. But we're walking three weeks or four weeks in. I'm walking with this guy who complains of, uh, of severe pain in the stomach. Lay hands on him, and his stomach is healed. And he says, you're a magician. Uh, some of you guys know the story. I said, no, I'm not a magician. This is the Holy Spirit that I've been talking about. And right there, he gave his life to Jesus. And a couple days later, we get to baptize him. And the first believer, then half a dozen more people came to the Lord. Learned a couple of lessons that have been incredibly important in all people's search. There's a one world youth culture. And so we always want to reach young people. Uh, that that age between high school and young adult years, people are looking for an ideology to believe in. And so you go and you find them. People are learning English everywhere. We have this window. I don't know how much longer. So I, so I started doing that. And, and here was the craziest thing. Um, so Steph and I just started taking teams and, and we were in the most amazing context. And uh, Antioch, community church and um, but God, God started really uh, showing us a couple of things. First of all, I was taking teams and the older I got, like once I had a wife and kids, I noticed that young people or some of the people weren't as likely to hang out with me. And I'll never forget taking this like just total gamer goofball guy. And I was calling people and trying to get them to come, call me back and they wouldn't. And this just gamer goofball guy all of a sudden, I was like, where have you been? He was one of my teammates. I said, where have you been? He's like, oh, I was hanging out in the room uh, for the last four hours with this, these six Saudi Arabians. I'm like, what? And I, I just realized, my goodness, we it's not just about reaching young people. It's about us continually raising up young people to send them to young people. Because the door they have open uh, is absolutely incredible. We're wanting to find young people that we can send to Saudi Arabia, send to Yemen and Oman, all these places, because that the, these young Muslims, these young Hindus, these young Buddhists are going to listen to other young people. They just want to hang out with them. There's still a window where everyone wants to be friends with Americans. And so um, what we have to do, so the spirit of the sovereign Lord is palming, for the Lord's going to meet you what? Preach. Preach good news. We've just kind of trained people. So we need the reason people don't come to Christ around the world is because they weren't trained to lead people. We ended up leading Steph and I led this this college group, and it was all about making disciples. And so I had this guy named Mark Masterson sit me down and say, Robert, I want to challenge you. You know he, that we had this talk that I I talked about in my book on discipleship, where he was asking me, you know, who was the who was the president of your university, the class body? I'm like, I have no idea. What did they do? I have no idea. He says that arguably that person in the world's eyes would be the most influential person on campus, but you can't think of one thing that's impacted you from them. 
Because Jesus' method was so different. Instead of focusing on the masses, he focused on a few. Lived his life with them in such a way that they started dividing his values. He goes, I want to challenge you to spend your life with a few people and invest in them. He's good. He said, I'll disciple you. You pour into them. And if you do that, you'll have a never-ending legacy here. The focus of our ministry, and our ministry grew really large. If you're 800 college students, but the thing I always gave my primary time to was discipling my disciples. And that, the core of a church, if you broke it down to the smallest building block, is a discipleship relationship. So a church, the, 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 the basic building block of a healthy church is discipleship. So whether you're going to go and be a worship leader, whether you're going to go run the finances of a church, whether you're a flaming evangelist, whether you're going to take care of the children, what I want to charge you with as an all people's church planner is make disciples. All right. So imagine if I was dying tonight and I knew I was dying and I was spending time with my wife and kids, I would tell them the most important thing. You know, so here's Jesus about to leave the earth. He gathers his disciples on the mountain. What does he say? All authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. And yet so much of the church is not doing that. But what I saw, I, I, I had been so frustrated at Baylor University because I wanted to make this big difference. And and I I never forget when I got to sing the the big finale solo of our our um, fraternity's big act that thousands of people saw, and the next day it was like nothing had happened. And I thought this is the pinnacle of what a student can do in Christendom: singing a solo and like everyone's cheering, and no one even thought about it the next day. And it's because it's very beautiful to use our gifts, but discipleship is what transforms a person from the inside out. Um, and so the, the end of my college years and the beginning of my ministry years were all focused on making disciples. And here's the crazy thing. That was 27 years ago or 26 years ago i'm still in contact with those guys uh today they uh two of them ended up missionaries in morocco one of them planted a church in in uh, portland oregon uh one of them planted a church in north carolina um those relationships will last the rest of your life not all of them but many of them will and these are the people that get this absolutely transformed so we, we, Steph and I led the college uh, group for a while and um, we started having this, this thought of, um, you know, what if, what if missions and church planning wasn't something that just a few elite people were called to like, yeah, they're there. You need to have a calling to probably lead it because you pay a big price, but what if this just became normal? People were, we had this big college group, all these life groups. And so we started saying, um, 
what if we started challenging people to go and instead of just going to the highest paid job, that doesn't seem very biblical. What if you actually went community? That's a lot more biblical when you look at Paul and Barnabas, and Timothy and Silas, and Peter, and James and John. And so we, we started challenging people to go to these different cities and when, when a leader would have a calling, but then to call their friends and disciples into it. And so we started planting churches all over. Um, and it was really exciting because people would just graduate. They had to get a job and they'd say, okay, instead of just going to Dallas where everyone else goes, I'm, I'm going to, I'll go with my community. And we, so we started planting churches and, and that was the current job I had um, when God surprised me one day. And um, uh, my pastor Jimmy had said, hey, would you commit for the next 10 years to, to lead the U.S. church planning movement? And I said, I'd love to. Um, but of course, I'll go in and check in with the Lord. Always check in with the Lord. <laughs> Always make sure you're doing what God's saying. Um, that's one of the, the, the biggest lessons that I hope people get from being a part of our churches is John chapter five. Jesus says the son only did what he saw the father do. And, um, that's what you're going to be responsible for, right? Is did did you do what the Lord was speaking to you? What he was, what he was saying, that is your church planting strategy so even when things make sense um i'm you always want to ask the lord if it makes sense so you guys know that story i went and just said lord you know is this what we're supposed to do for the next 10 years and god spoke so clearly I called a church planting not to planting a church church planting uh in in san diego california and that was a uh that was such a shocker. And um, it's it's really a big part of who we are as a people. Because once again, I didn't know where San Diego was. <laughs> like I knew it was in California. Uh, but that's so important. A part of our story is that we don't just go where, where it makes sense. Uh, I had no connections. I knew one person from San Diego, but she was living in Waco. Uh, and she was actually from Red Rancho Santa Fe, um, which wasn't going to help planting a church in the inner city. <laughs> um, but that's who we are, right? We're people that ask the Lord what he's saying. And we go to places that make no sense. You have no connections. And... Um, now, what we did do was we submitted that to our leaders. Um, so many times people go and try to have everything lined up before they move. Um, we came for three days looking for houses, couldn't find anything. We came on a second trip for three days, couldn't find anything. We actually drove every street from the 15 freeway to, uh, to 70th Street. To the end, so we drove every every street. Okay, I'm just trying to tell like hours of the day. Okay, and a lot of people suffered a lot more than me, but I just want to tell you some of these stories because you hear a lot of the glory stories and you don't hear about 
we did three trips of three days each and never found a house. So what do you do? We just, we moved without a place to stay. So we told them, they, they said, you have to tell your moving truck and address. And I said, drive to San Diego. And they said, well, where do we go? And I said, I'll tell you when you get there. Okay. <laughs> you, you don't have to play by the world's rules. Um, so we moved here and you guys, a lot of you know the story of landing in the, the hotel on Rosecrans. But you know, uh, what, what I have learned is that God so often speaks in our most desperate times. And I was, that was rough. Like we had lost, we had, we had left everything. We didn't have a place to live. And I was just broken when we got here. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? And that's when he spoke so clearly that you'll see the greatest revival this, this city's ever seen. And, um, Uh, I really, I have no idea what that's going to look like. I just want to be a part of it. But we had that promise as a, as a people, and I'm really excited about that. And, um, you know, in that moment, I hadn't, I hadn't even seen it. But in that moment, just to get that word, I just started weeping, going like, it's all worth it, Lord. Just to get the promise like there's such joy in getting a supernatural promise that it was all worth like giving our home, you know, and um, moving everything, being in a hotel. So we, we stayed in a hotel for days and I was out on the beach and, and Jonathan Blair calls me and says, Hey, I think I've, I think I found a house for you. Um, it's just more expensive than you want. And we land in this house by Hewlett. And it was more expensive. I had to, God was teaching me a reverse thing instead of like, in, in my early years, he was teaching me to give everything away. Later on, he was teaching me to believe for more money and to live on a higher budget than I felt comfortable on. So I had budgeted $2,000 a month. Back then, that was a lot of money. And I needed to, I had to pay $3,000 a month, which I was like, this is crazy. But God, God had held out to the perfect house and when we got there, our neighbors, wherever you, first of all, don't, don't just live in a comfortable place, in a house that, especially when you're planting, where you plant, your home becomes your mission space. Our table, there were 21 nights in a row that we had people over for dinner. The reason we saw so many people come to the Lord, though, is our home was our mission space. So you don't just go and, okay, where can I find the most comfortable home? Where's perfect? Little, you know, maybe God will give that to you. Um, God, God gave us a great home, but it was, you know, years after we had, we had moved here. We moved 10 times. But that, that when you land, make sure it's like when you walk in, you're not looking with your natural eyes. You're looking with the eyes of the spirit. There are plenty of neat places. There are plenty of nice places. But we weren't going, this will work. We were going, where is the strategic launching pad for this church? Because uh, you end up in that strategic launching pad and all our neighbors start getting saved around us. Like the first girl I met, I told her what we were doing. And she goes, that's so crazy. We were having a conversation yesterday about if God's real, wouldn't you want us to know him? 
Well, she's the first person that got saved. And then all her roommates got saved. And then their two boyfriends ended up opening up doors for us. One was the captain of the football team and one was the main baseball player. I became the chaplain of the baseball team. What if I wouldn't have moved there? Like what if, and that house needed to wait to be open. So sometimes, sometimes God's, here's my experience. God stretches his paths when we think of him. And then he'll bless us beyond. Hey, then, then he'll bless us at other times beyond what we ever thought we deserved. But we were on our church planting team retreat and, and make sure in your calendar you put in retreat times. You put in going off and seeking the Lord. Like we put that in our staff schedule. So before every fall, spring, and summer, I, I go off and spend time with the Lord. We had gone off and done this as a team. And that's where we got this lightning bolt vision. You've you've seen there's a little cityscape right here. And we had Luke 418. And we drew it as lightning bolts, these five different lightning bolts hitting the city and bringing transformation. I, I will say I had so much, and, and hopefully it's so much less. I'm sure there's still more to work on, but I had so much ambition, so much personal ambition. Um, and man, I, I just don't want to steal not like you can't steal, but uh, I don't. I don't want to be in the way of God getting glory. And so, so uh, many times things have not gone as expected. The the when um, th there will be there will be great challenges and. Um, my my encouragement to you is even beyond planting a great church, which is a wonderful, wonderful goal in life, because the church is a pillar and foundation of truth. It's the family of God. I mean, you're giving your life to the most beautiful and powerful thing on earth. Um, but even beyond that, make your ambition your highest goal to know Jesus. And to fall more in love with him and then to be conformed into his image. And congratulations, you have picked the right endeavor for getting conformed into the image of Jesus. Uh, sometimes, every once in a while, someone will come up to me and say, uh, gosh, how do you stay humble? And I'll start laughing. And I'll say, just stay connected to a local church and you will be humbled. Um <laughs> uh, But uh, I, I can now say I'm so thankful that someone betrayed me and tried to split our church. Um, I'm, I'm thankful for the persecution we've had. I'm thankful for the things that people have said about me because it has. Uh, I'm thankful for all those things in the past. I'm not saying I'm thankful for the ones that are happening right now. <laughs> just let's just be really honest. <laughs> but I am so thankful because it drove me into desperate need of Jesus. And it drove me into, in those places of desperation, he comes into. 
It's not always the moment you want him to meet you. <laughs> but he always ends up coming. And the, the intimacy with him and the sweetness of his voice and the tenderness of his touch and him illuminating the word to you and ministering and touching you emotionally is the greatest gift. And what I've often told people, and I pray that this would be what you would say as you lead all people's churches. I, I often tell people, my goal is not for someone to walk out of all people and say that was the most amazing music or worship, or that was the most powerful message. Uh, my greatest desire is people walk out and say, I've never met people that look so much like Jesus. Right. Uh, that's, that's the main thing that changed my life when I got to college is I met a girl who looked like Jesus. You know, I've heard that story. Uh, she didn't, you know, she didn't look like the actor in the chosen video. Uh, she has pale skinned, blonde, fluffy hair um, and had a kooky laugh, but she, anyone can look like Jesus if they really walk with him. And it's the most, uh, it is the greatest evangelism tool. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're sending you out to do is for you to look more and more like Jesus. And when that happens, it makes people fall in love with Jesus. And the more time they spend with Jesus, the more it changes them to look like Jesus. And so that's, that is my desire is that people would come in and go like, wow, all people search, you got a, a well-oiled machine or man, you guys get those five D's. I think the five D's are very powerful because they walk us through a journey of transformation. But the greatest thing, if we could just have one thing, if people could just be with us one time, they walk in, uh, I, I hope they experience Jesus there. Like, I love it when people are like, I walked in and I, I, I I've gotten this, maybe the, the most frequent compliment in this church's history is I walked in and I just started crying because I felt the presence of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then I want them to, I want them to say like, and I've never seen people like that before. Right. So whether that's in Jerusalem, right. Or Minnesota or Oaxaca or Guanajuato, Paris, or I, I, I believe that, you know, we can have, the Aboriginal people of Australia and the Pygmy people and the Peruvian Andes mountain people and Tibetans. Um, that, that is the greatest goal is people madly in love with Jesus. And love with Jesus. Right. Um, that is what we're going for. Is it, is it a Jesus looking like and a Jesus loving and a Jesus hosting church. It's the greatest desire. Um, and, and people so often will say, you know, well, all people's, that's that missions church. You ever heard that before? Oh, that's that, that's the missions church. Or you guys are the missions church. And I just want to say, no, we're the Jesus church. I mean, that's a compliment that we're the missions church, but I want to say, no, we're, we're a Jesus church. I just want to be at Jesus' feet. Yeah. Right? I just want to be at Jesus' feet. The problem is his feet are always moving. Um, and so I just, I just want to go where he's going. Matthew 24, 14. Okay, that's why 
If you ever get locked out of a room and you're standing before a code, try 2414. <laughs> Most likely it'll work around here. Either that or 0418. Uh, who can tell me Matthew 2414? I'll give you the first word. And? <laughs> Very good. And um, Joe's first message here talked about Panta Ethne or Panta Ethnos, which is all peoples, all people groups, right? So even in our name, God spoke the name all peoples. We didn't brainstorm. We didn't have a whiteboard session. He gave us the, the name all peoples. I went down and told the staff, I'm like, can you name a Christian church? All peoples. We didn't, I, at the time, I hadn't seen it everywhere in scripture. Now, you know, you're reading it. You're like, oh, this is all over scripture. Yeah, I mean, they still do think we're a universal church. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um and we are. We believe the whole universe should be saved. <laughs> we are a universalist church. <laughs> the whole universe needs Jesus. Um, the point of planting these churches is to get the gospel to every people. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to resign from this church to go to an unreached people. Um, but you just need to, obedience is better than sacrifice. So you need to go where Jesus is telling you to go. And if you go and do what he's calling you to do, it will be the greatest gift to accelerate the gospel getting the nations. But we're not trying to just plant the next cool church in the Twin Cities. There, there are actually a lot of churches. And yeah, I would see some people say, but like I was on my hill two days ago. I sent James this message. I said, man, I just see all these. I could see them in my mind. All these, I was seeing all these young men between about 25 and 35 that just want to plant churches and that they need to have this understanding that it's not just about them having a cool church, but that God wants to reach all people groups and there are a bunch of people that are in Minneapolis. The reason we're planning a church in Minneapolis is to reach the rest of the world. And we believe that's going to be a great training and sending center, right? Because it's not, it's not, it's not fair for the world to be unreached and us to keep planting churches for their churches, unless we plant the churches in order that we can get more laborers, right? Because it's one thing, if I would go, I could go to, you know, I could tell you all the countries I've tried to go to. Um, but if I can get, if I can multiply my life, God will give me men and women in exchange for my life. We can plant so many more churches. So you go, but the goal is not a good church in the Twin Cities. The goal is dozens of church planters going from the nation, getting people in the Twin Cities, a heart for the unreached, the nations of the world. And, and the crazy thing is the unreached now are in the nations of the world. So I'm, I'm so excited about this DMM thing because the unreached, and they're a lot easier to reach here. So there's Somalians three blocks from here. They sit at this table under this tree 
way more reachable here than there, right? And so the same thing in, in all of these cities of the world is we, so never take that out of your mind that this gospel of the kingdom will be preached as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So Jesus, the one thing we know is he's not coming back today. So you will hear theologians say he can come back today. And according to what I see in scripture, he's not going to. He's not going to come back. But we can see him come back in this generation. We are so close. But we've got your churches have to be focused on getting the gospel to all nations. Um, and so that is that is the end goal of every all people's church. It's not just to have a great church. It's to, it's to infuse people. And so um, it's hard because I've prayed and now God's really answered our prayers. I'm like, God, you can come raid our church and send our best people to the nations. And then this fall, I've been like, oh God, can I kind of take that back? Because we've had so many of our great leaders leave. It's really hard. Um, but that's, that's what it's all about, right? Is getting to the unreached of the nations. So you're going to Jordan. But please be thinking beyond Jordan, right? There, there are going to be Saudis there. There are going to be, there are going to be people from all these different people groups. There's going to be all these different refugees there. So never see your place as the end goal. And okay, we're just going to once we get something going. No, it's always right. We're just we're one little handoff of the baton trying to pass it on and so that's what we're trying to do is think generationally not just individually so american to think individually um so god spoke so clearly i'll start landing the plane here god spoke so clear why do we talk about three thousand churches all the time i've had a couple of encounters uh but one of which it was so Intense, and you might end up having an encounter like it's so much of the power of God that it, I thought it might explode. Like I physically felt like I was going to explode. I was on the ground, I couldn't move, but power was surging. And God was like, "You're believing for way too small." Because at the time, I was saying we're, we're going to plant a thousand churches. He was like, "No, I want three thousand churches." When I say that, though, it's not I, this this church, San Diego, won't plant three thousand churches. It will be. All the churches that it's it's all of us as a family. Uh, they're not Robert's churches; they're Jesus's churches, and it's all of us as a family. But God confirmed it with a uh, a human sign, like the the one person in America that we know that's actually seen this. There's only one that I know of uh, in America, and that next month they end up joining our church. The, the prayer I want you to pray is out of Ephesians 3, 21. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you can ask or imagine, through his power at work within you, be glory to him through the church forever and ever. Amen. Um, here is what I have seen. The people who end up seeing the most in the kingdom are the ones who believe for God to do the most and ask him to do the most, however he wants to do it. <laughs> Let's put that major caveat on the end. Um, 
But I, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer. I try to pray that prayer every day before I get out of bed. Lord, would you do exceedingly and abundantly more? Um, and little by little, I'm just writing down the things that were exceedingly and abundantly more.